Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're talking to you about... The keys to the kingdom, about the kingdom of God. What is it? How do we find it? Where do we look for it? I noticed somebody on our email network asking to find the the local congregation. Well, every individual is a part of the local congregation, and their job is to find everybody else. And then when you find everybody else, then you keep track of everybody else. And, of course, you can't keep track of more than 10 people, probably, maybe 20 or 30 if you've really got the time. But uh, what you do is you form a network of tens, hundreds, and thousands, and then you keep track of one another, and your incentive to keep track of one another is that you repent of the idea that the wages of unrighteousness have any value, and then you follow Ecclesiastes, uh, was it nine, uh, in our uh, outline this morning where we were talking about... uh, uh, the wise man keeps the commandments, uh, oh, the common disease, uh, that, uh, but a man can covet his own riches kept as the owner thereof to their hurt, which is an evil common among men and an evil disease. And in other words, anybody who has something more than what they need should be willing to share it with somebody else. Uh, by our very nature, that is what you do. When cattle are out grazing or sheep are out grazing, they're not pushing other cows away from the feed. They're eating the feed that is in front of them and they're consuming it. And you can only eat so much. But when you create a sharing economy then you are going to be getting closer to the kingdom. But believe it or not, capitalism is a sharing economy. I just wrote somebody who was responding on exosomes. I've known the guy for a long time. Uh, he went away for a while. He's come back. And uh, uh, he has a lot of vocabulary and stuff that I find it difficult to follow sometimes exactly what he means. And we got to talking about exosomes on the network and viruses. And uh, there's a common idea that germ theory and, uh, uh, you know, what was Campbell and... Uh, and, uh, of course, uh, the, the big guys would be Campbell and uh, Pasteur got into this debate about germ theory. And uh, it seems like this, when I connect to the studio with this, they, they adjust my sound levels. And they jumped off the scale when I first started talking, but then uh, they adjusted. And so then you end up with... Uh, lower sound levels. I can bring them up, but it does seem like they're coming in consistent. I can cut this out. But this idea of of uh, germ theory versus, uh, you, you know, your standard uh, terrain theory or 
or whatever you want to call it. I mean, there's a couple of different, and I actually have an article up, uh, based on that idea of germ theory. And, uh, they're really not opposing, you know, they debated, but the debate really wasn't in the title of, uh, the different, uh, uh, ideologies or whatever you want to call them, because uh, they are almost ideologies surrounding, you know, where does disease come from? What, what causes disease? Uh, you can, you can have a virus in a room and there will be some people who will not get it. You know, the, the princess, was it Princess Diane? Anyway, the, the cruise ship that had all the people on it that had the original supposed coronavirus. Uh, many people were on that ship and they never, they never, ever got sick. Despite the, the terrible diet that was <laughs> provided by the, the, uh, uh, shipping lines. You know, the cruise lines. They just, they didn't, they didn't get ill. Uh, and they were often rooming with other people that got ill. So, they, why didn't they get ill and other people get ill? One of the things you, the fact is, you can get an infection. You can get an infection from bacteria, you can get an infection from viruses, but you can also not get them. So they're not quite like, you know, like a bullet. If I were to fire a bullet at you, uh, at point blank and you didn't have any body armor, chances are you would be hurt. But of course, you know, in the movie Matrix, eventually he got to the point where even the bullets didn't hurt. <laughs> and in fact, you could get to such a, uh, uh, you know, to, to such a location in, in existence where you would not be hurt by, you know, uh, projectiles that are coming at you. And so I had a whole article on germ theory. And uh, we went through it step by step uh, as to, you know, germ theory and cellular theory. That's another name that they have for it. Uh, they're not actually opposing theories. Uh, they're actually complementary theories. And they both have a certain amount of validity. It's when people try to uh, turn them in to... Opposing theories, Bacamp and Pasteur, they had this ongoing debate about it. And uh, then, you know, they, they, they make it like it's some sort of uh, opposing concepts. But they're not really uh, opposing concepts. They are complementary. Uh, and, and both have a certain amount of validity, and both, depending on your application of the ideas, will uh, be contradictory or incorrect. And also, you know, when I say application, I'm saying under certain conditions that these uh, these theories can become the theories themselves can become toxic. You know, when you're looking at Pierre de Camp, Becamp and Louis Pasteur in this controversy of germ theory and cellular theory, that everybody needs to slow down, become observant, and see 
don't go by sound bites. Don't go by catchy rhetoric. Don't go. Don't be. If you're accepting blocks of text or or information or data as the truth, that's eating of the tree of knowledge. The truth is far more extensive than what you will see in these blocks of information. So this is how you get where the germ theory and cell theory are supposedly uh, at war with one another. They're theories. They're not at war with one another. The individuals might be at war with one another, but Camp had a much different approach to health than Pasteur. And Pasteur's approach to health was not very kingdom-like. Let's put it that way. It did lend itself to commercialism, but it was not very kingdom-like. So, anyway, that's not really the topic, but I thought I'd throw that out since I sent an invitation out if people wanted to call in. And uh, I have to keep an eye on the studio. I see a lot of people have called in. And uh, they're ready to go. And then, of course, I there's a link there that I believe you can go to and listen to the show. At least that's what it has appeared to be before. And I included it in uh, the little notice that went out to the email network. And uh, that uh, that notice to the email network uh hopefully I, I BC'd all the, so I'm not cross-posting, but I sent them all out at once, and it goes out to everybody, but it's BC'd to the, the network, and I tried to, I have been sending it to the PCM group too, and then the PCM group can forward it on to the local groups that they are PCMs for, PCMs personal contact ministers. They're really... It, other than the Nephilim, which we will discuss later in the book of Ezra, there really is no biblical PCM. <laughs> That's why it's called a personal contact minister. It's just somebody who has volunteered to help you get in contact, to figure out how the network was, be introduced to the material. Uh, and it's anybody who volunteers to do it. One of the things that I pointed out is on the network, in the kingdom of God, everybody ministers to everybody else. That is the nature of the kingdom of God. The, there are there are particular people that are set aside to be ministers. There are ministers who come out like the Levites and are separate. The Levites were separate. The Levites actually belonged to God. They were already in bondage to God. But then how God performed the act of being the master of the Levites, it was through a Corbin, a free will offering, a, a, a free will, uh, a free will interaction with God. Because they were unhewn stones, unhewn by men and unhewn by God. Which allows them to be false Levites and not really good men. So what that does is put the responsibility back in your corner as to decide who is a legitimate minister. Uh, we talked to one minister the other day and, and uh, 
that we were trying, you know, he had a, a fairly good congregation. Some people kind of moved on. Some people moved to another location, joined other congregations. And there's not a lot of people that are active in his area right now. But we've had a few uh, increases in that area, in that general area. It would be the the uh, eastern seaboard, north east seaboard area. New Hampshire, Vermont, Maine, Connecticut, all the way down to Rhode Island. He's had people in his congregation. But you can't think of these congregations as your local church congregation. It's a network of tens, hundreds, and thousands. That uh, if you lived in a small village and and you were your a lot of the people in your villages were were repenting and seeking the kingdom of God, you might have two, three, four, five congregations. In that little village. But most people aren't repenting. Most people are going about thinking that the church they go to is a church established by Christ or is preaching the gospel. And we showed this morning in the morning program that most of the churches today not only do not preach the gospel of the kingdom, they preach doctrines that are counter the gospel of the kingdom that are counter what we're going to see when we deal with Ezra. And I haven't even put the whole study together. I've got a couple of weeks to maybe get it together, but I've got all kinds of other things going on as well, as always. And so it's going to be a struggle. I was working on it right after the show this morning, as well as because of the fact that Ezra is kind of a vortex point for a lot of the other, you know, Nehemiah, which used to be a part of the book of Ezra, uh, Jeremiah, I, Isaiah, uh, uh, and uh, other of the prophets, uh, coalesce around this supposed attempt of the Israelites to leave Babylon, go to Jerusalem, and rebuild the temple, whatever that means. Of course, there was absolutely no reason to think that they were to build a stone structure building to operate as the temple of Herod was operating at the time of Christ. That was not rebuilding the temple. I was telling somebody just the other day that the word temple didn't mean building to begin with didn't mean hut. It didn't mean uh, any kind of structure whatsoever. The temple was an area. And it would be considered a sacred area where you could go and meet. And you could uh, have a discussion. I mean, Indians had it. They didn't call it a temple. But in the White Pine Peace Treaty, they had an area that there was supposed to be people that had firewood collected there and... uh a place to gather and an opening area to gather and sit down and discuss things and you couldn't you couldn't war with anybody. You had to sit there and see if you couldn't work out your peace treaty with whoever showed up there and you couldn't you couldn't kill them. You couldn't stab them, you couldn't hit them with your tomahawk, you couldn't do any of those things. And people were supposed to bring food there and share the food, kind of like a potluck, which comes from the original word potlatch, from the potlatch Indians. But uh, where it's a sharing thing. But again, uh, even though 
the kingdom is a sharing economy, it's a capitalist economy. It's not a socialist economy. Socialism isn't about sharing. Socialism is about redistribution of wealth. And it, it gives power to some people to do it. Now, in the kingdom of God, you give power to some people to redistribute the wealth of the community. That's what the Levites were able to do. They were able to redistribute wealth in the community. But they could only redistribute wealth that was freely given to them individually by their personal contact with other people in Israel. They gathered together in a network of tens, hundreds, and thousands. I always remember the guy who thought he knew so much about the Bible. He's able to quote this and quote that. He's, he's written stuff about me and about hundreds of other uh, ministers and everything. They don't have it. They don't have it. They don't have it. One of the things that he came back when I, I countered some of his statements and uh, he came back with, uh, there's nothing in the Bible about a network. <laughs> you think like, did you even read it? How did he come to that conclusion? Because Moses organized the people in tens, hundreds, and thousands. That's a network. Jesus organized the people in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. That's a network. Because you didn't see the word network, you think it, there's no network. We see Paul traveling all over uh, Europe and uh, the Mediterranean area networking. And distributing food during times of dearth. But he thinks there's nothing in the Bible about network. Which brings me back to that website that I I mentioned uh, last week. Uh, Leaving Egypt Ministries. And uh, Leaving Egypt Ministries has uh, a guy who's written a couple of articles. And his name, he goes by the name Obadiah D. Morris. And uh, I looked up an Obadiah D. Morris to see if I could find out who he is, because he really doesn't have anything in here that tells you who he is. Uh, although he says you can leave comments. Let's see. Oh, yeah, I can leave comments. Maybe I can ask them questions, but we won't do that during the show. But he's talking about getting out of the system. Somebody was on the network back on the East Coast, and they were saying... Uh, something to the effect, I may not have them quoted right, but there's always somebody who says this, that all you have to do is know your status, know who you are, and you're in the kingdom. Well, no. <laughs> you, you know, Christ didn't say jump into the kingdom or imagine yourself in the kingdom or just all you have to do is know who you are and you're automatically in the kingdom. No, he said seek it. Seek the kingdom and the righteousness of God. Well, the righteousness of God means you do not covet your neighbor's goods. And you certainly don't covet your neighbor's goods through men who exercise authority one over the other through government. That's Jesus' words. That you're not supposed to do that. And I, I couldn't make out what the individual's complaint was. Is that somehow they think I said that you should never take you know, government uh, benefits. Well, no, I'm just saying the government benefits, benefits that come... Now I say the government benefits. If you received 
if a Levite received a free will offering from an individual, you know, he, he gave him some meat or maybe he gave him some bags of flour or maybe he gave him, you know, uh, somebody gave us a bunch of Swiss chard because they had more than they needed. Uh, but if somebody gave us these things freely uh, and we ate of those things or the Levite took uh, your minister, your local minister went and distributed amongst other people, you're receiving the wages of righteousness because they're based on free will offerings. Like Moses said. Like the Song of Moses says. Like the Song of the Lamb says. That you should, and you're receiving them from a government. Because the Levites were a government. And the ministers of God. The kingdom of God. The ministers of the kingdom of God are a government. So if they give you benefits, if they help feed you, if they help clothe you, those are the wages of righteousness. Now they, they need to be guided by the Holy Spirit when they redistribute that wealth. But they're only redistributing what was freely given. All other systems that are contrary to that. Systems where men who exercise authority take away from your neighbor. And somebody was saying, I didn't quite get the logic of it. I was having trouble figuring out what the guy was saying about exosomes and the point he was trying to make. But the uh, exosomes are viruses. He was talking about viruses and stuff like that. And it was in response to something I had sent to the network. But uh, the the idea of, you know, giving from somebody who received from somebody else that was a free will offering, that giving must be led by the Holy Spirit, which is part of that equation that Christ gave us so that everything would be resolved righteously, correctly, with life at its center, which is seek the kingdom of God, which is to say, seek the government of God. And and everybody who's been listening knows that the government of God operates by charity. Because you have faith in the fact that charity works, and God will put it on somebody's heart to give, if I have a need, God will put it on their heart that somehow when it goes into the pipeline of the network, it will get to me. And it will be guided by the Holy Spirit in that network. Now, I know right now in our network, the Holy Spirit is not extremely per- per- persuasive or pervasive in, in the network. There's a lot of people who are not really led by the Holy Spirit. They might have a little inkling of it from time to time, but they're led by a lot of other emotions as well. Fear, anxiety. I have to shut off my email here so that we don't keep hearing the dinging. Oh, you know, the notice did not go out. doesn't appear to... I thought I sent that out. Let's see if I got everything right. We'll send it out and see if we get more callers coming in. Okay, we'll send it out now. For some reason or other. Oh, there it goes. Okay, it's gone out to everybody. <laughs> now it's gone out. Anyway, um, 
So we sent it out at 24 minutes after. Well, normally I don't take calls till the first hour is up and I try to get through some of these other things. Uh, let's see. Is it coming in? I'm seeing uh, some notices. Uh, yeah, somebody in Indiana named John is trying to find a local congregation. That's interesting. Uh, yeah, they're all coming in. Yeah, I started the program this morning and I had bumped a button on the board that actually disconnects my sound and all of a sudden, yeah, usually I check, you know, like five minutes in advance, but I was so rushed for time. You know, I, I was up yesterday at five, dagging sheep, and then I was up the day at five, working on trying to get everything in place. And, uh, let's see. I was looking here at, at other notices that are coming in. Anyway, um, so anyway, that's gone out, so maybe we'll see more callers coming in, and, and I'll have to keep an eye on that. But the the guy that has this Leaving Egypt Ministries, Obadiah D. Morris, which has just recently come up, and he says he's looking for articles, uh, he says there's no better slavery that a gang of thieves could hope for than the kind where the rulers subject subjects walk around praising the regime wearing its blood soaked flags and thinking they're free. Well, then they're more hopelessly enslaved than those who believe they are free. And that's uh is it Goth? Uh, said that years ago, and and the reality is that that is certainly a problem. But uh, blood soaked flag, you know, uh, the American flag is what it is. I'm not. One of the things that we pointed out this morning in going through Ecclesiastes 10 is curse not the king. Uh, there's there's a lot of brave people in the military of America. There were a lot of brave people in the military during the Vietnam War. I think the Vietnam War was ill-advised and it created all kinds of atrocities and it killed all kinds of people unnecessarily. But then again, there were all kinds of people on the other side that were killing people unnecessarily. And we could have avoided the whole war. But there were powers that wanted a war. Because war makes money. And they threw out all kinds of slogans. And they duped all kinds of people through the media to go to war in Vietnam. We didn't need to go to war in Vietnam. Ho Chi Minh was pro-American. Pro-American constitution. He wanted to implement an American type constitution in Vietnam. Uh, and, and he just didn't want the French there to come back in and and oppressed them like they had done before World War II. When he marched into Hanoi the first time, he was carrying an American flag because they were driving out the Japanese who were trying to oppress them. But when the French came back in, they wanted to oppress them, and he was not going to have it. But if Americans had gone to him and said, hey, look, we will give you support, but we want to see you be become a more Republican-type 
government, not more democratic, more Republican type of government, he would have jumped at the chance. And he, the, Vietnam would have been our staunchest ally, far more than Japan, far more than Taiwan, which are allies over there. But I don't think of people as countries. I don't think of people as, you know, you're a citizen of Taiwan or you're a citizen of China or you're a citizen of Vietnam. Because I don't think of people in blocks uh, of uh, in labels. And of course, that's back to what I was saying about germ theory and cellular theory. Or some people call it terrain theory, but the uh, the reality is that that those are blocks. It, those are boxes. You're you're creating boxes and you're putting ideas in the boxes. And you, sometimes you put the ideas up on a pedestal. We can use that metaphor, and then you worship those ideas. That's tree of knowledge crap, if I may use such a blunt language. You don't want that. You want to move from the Holy Spirit. And then, so when somebody's talking to you and they're using vocabulary that you're not used to and they're using words you're not used to or that you have heard of before from other people who are stinkers, you have to give that individual a break and try to listen to what they are really trying to say. They may not even know what they're really trying to say if they've done too much of that blockchain information in a finite mind. Now, blockchain is referenced to uh, a computer blockchain system, and I, I don't fault that system. I just realize that blockchain, and it could be a very useful system, but it may not be the final solution because the kingdom of God is not blockchain. Kingdom of God is divinely inspired. Somebody just sent me an email talking about uh, uh, natural law, God of nature, nature's God, which actually was defined as a rejection of the supernatural God of the Holy Bible. Who defined it as that? Because I can show you where... uh, Natural law is defined as divine will and the will of God. Because somebody defined it, you know, he says because because it was contrary to reason as defined in Paine's commentary and is found in letters by Thomas Jefferson and John Adams. Well, Thomas Paine was completely different than Thomas Jefferson. And certainly different than John Adams. I mean, John Adams and Thomas Jefferson had their ring around the rosy moments as well. But sitting down and talking with the individual, even the hot-headed Thomas Paine, I could have found common ground. I could have edged them closer to the kingdom, as close as they want to go. But the problem is the fact that we don't really want to see the truth. We want to think that we have the truth. And we put it in these boxes. Or we put it up on these pedestals. I have this idea, which is different than this idea. These are ideologies. It's not in ideologies. Ideologies are a product of eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In almost every case, I have to say almost every case, because 
there are so many different cases out there. <laughs> but the reality is, is moving from the spirit. It's not moving from the boxes. The boxes of ideas that we have. Now, you can have those boxes. I would like you to open them all up and take a look at them and set them down. And maybe right on the outside of the box, in this box contains this ideology, this ideology, and this ideology. And and then take that label on the outside of the box with a grain of salt. Because there's mixes of that. And like, reality is is constantly in motion because time is constantly in motion. There are fundamental principles and I try to break things down into fundamental principles. Seek the government of God which is a government that operates by faith, hope, and charity. And the righteousness of God, which incorporates law, judgment, mercy, and faith, which are the weightier matters. And, of course, you have to repent. You have to think differently than what you were thinking when you got into this mess. So seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all else will be added unto you. But you have to be really seeking it, not just say you're seeking it. So that's a challenge, in the least. Okay, we did get more numbers. I see more numbers popping up. And uh, let's see, it says... I'm I'm trying to read all the other stuff. I'll, I'll open up the chat room, too, if somebody wants to... If they don't want to call in, they're afraid to call in, they go to Freedomizer, find... Uh, the station and open up the chat room and uh, and they can type out a question if they have a question and they don't want to come on the air because sometimes that's a little bit intimidating I'm so intimidating I don't know why people think that <laughs> but I, I'm I'm telling you that you know this is why I, I do so much uh, take so much time to define terms like natural law or law of nature. See, like some people will tell you, natural law and law of nature are two different distinct things. Well, in the mind of some people they might be, but in mind of other people they are identical, same things. Just like I said, for, for many years, many of the philosophers using the term, the law of nature or natural law, said that these were correlative or interchangeable terms with things like right reason, divine will, will of God. You know, I always say that you have an opinion, I have an opinion. But God's opinion is reality because God's opinion is right reason. God's opinion is how the law of nature works. But then we have to define what God because there are God's many. <laughs> See? So, it, you know, this is why in Ecclesiastes, which we've just been studying, it tells you that this making of books, there is no end and too much study brings weariness. Because you go out there and you say, well, law of nature, because actually was defined as a rejection of the supernatural God of the Holy Bible. Thomas Jefferson never rejected the supernatural God of the Holy Bible. 
he rejected the idea that the modern church of his day was in communication with that God. He believed in divine inspiration. But he was not always pleased with corporate churches. Because he actually said that no church should be allowed to incorporate in the state of Virginia. And that was law in Virginia for an awful long time. I think they've kind of fudged on it, changed a little bit of that. Because when a church incorporates within the state, it loses its power as the kingdom of God. Because the church is incorporated to Christ. A corporation is two or more people gathered together under a pre-existing authority. If you gather together under the pre-existing authority of the state, then you're a corporation of the state. You're not a corporation of the king, of Christ, the king, the anointed Jesus. You're, you're a body of the state. And the state will say, well, we'll give you special permission and privileges and all this stuff. But even if you read in the constitutional law and in the U.S. codes, the church is separate from the state. But the ministers also need to be separate from the state. Wow, it's interesting. I have two call-ins here from the same number. (laughs) How did you manage that? How did you get two call-ins from the same number? I don't know. Maybe the, it's, it's working slow, but I don't see any hands raised yet. But that's fine. Uh, but, yeah, you're not going to intellectually find the kingdom of God. You're not going to find it by studying. You're going to find it by being diligent in the things that we... I mean, there's nothing wrong with studying. You just don't find, you don't find the kingdom of God through study. You find the kingdom of God through the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit lists us where it will. And it doesn't care about your slogans and your, and, and, and your intellectual studies where you say, oh, this theory, that theory, and, and this word, you know, uh, it doesn't, it doesn't find it that way. So anyway, we've gone through our first half hour and then some, uh, this morning when I was reading from, uh, the different places where the word folly shows up in the New Testament, where we see the word translated folly shows up in the New Testament, uh, which is the word, uh, sikluth, uh, which is semek kuf, Lamad, uh, Vav, Tav. And, which is rather a long word. It's, it's from, uh, the word, uh, that is Shimek Kuf Lamad. And, uh, which you see in 1 Samuel 13, 13. Which is where Saul is rebuked for something foolish that he has done. He did something foolish. Well, what did he do? He forced a sacrifice. And and nobody understands that if they don't understand that the sacrifices on the living altars of stone, and those stones being the Levites, were how they funded a social welfare system, a social safety net, for the nation of Israel. 
if you think it was all about burning up sheep and turtle doves and and, and that sort of thing, you're not going to get it. That when he forced a sacrifice, why was he forcing a sacrifice? He wanted to fund his army. Well, he could have told the people, I need to fund my army. I'm, I'm worried the Philistines are getting stronger. And he goes around and makes his case. And people get free will offerings and fund the army. And people will tell you right today, they said, well, that's impossible. You can't fund an army through free will offerings. Well, you can't with the people you have in your country now because you're a bunch of selfish, fatherless children. If I may use that statement to describe them rather than the word itself. They are father, fatherless children. They don't have God as their father. They're all back in the bondage of Egypt. But that is that that is the problem, is that we've come to this uh, state where they have this semak uh, kuf uh, lamad kakao, which is seen in in Samuel thirteen thirteen, where. He talks about, but they are altogether brutish and foolish. Now, that's actually in Jeremiah, uh, where we see the, the same word that that is from. Kakal is from a, a root word that is spelled shemek. No, it's spelled kuf, uh, shemek. Ah, yeah, okay. Uh, Kuf, uh, it's very interesting when you look at the, the letters and you start thinking each letter has a meaning. Because they, they take, Kako is Samak Kuf Lamad. But there's another Kako that is Kuf Samak Lamad. They change the order of the Kuf and this Samak. And one you see in Jeremiah but they are altogether brutish and foolish. The stock is a doctrine of vanities, which I'm going to bring back into understanding vanities, vanities, all is vanities, because it's connected. See, Jeremiah is connected to all these. But in Samuel 13, 13, it, it's a, a different statement altogether. And they have this other word where they put the somak first, then the cuff, then the lamad. And if you go and look at that, 1313, 13, that's, you know, Saul reigned one year, and when he had reigned two years over Israel, Saul chose him 3,000 men of Israel, whereof 2,000 were with Saul, in Michmash and in Mount Bethel and a thousand were with Jonathan in Gibeah of Benjamin. Okay, well he saw the Philistines organizing and he saw, you know, the Philistines had gathered themselves together to fight with Israel. Thirty thousand chariots. Six thousand Horsemen and people as the sands which are on the seashores. 
in multitude, and they came up and pitched a tent in Mi'kmash, eastward from. Uh, oh, I haven't closed that yet. Let me close this. That's why I'm still getting those names. Here we go. And uh, eastward from uh, Bethaven. So he was distressed by this. That's a big army. And he's only got a few thousand men. He's got to get organized. He's going to have to fight this army. How's he going to do it? There's a lot of pressure on him. So what does he do? He calls for Saul. He calls for Samuel to come. But Samuel doesn't come right away. And he's worried the people are unorganized and they're ready. So Saul said, bring hither a burnt offering to me and a peace offering. And he offered the burnt offering. And it came to pass that as soon as he had made an end of the offering of the burnt offering, behold, Samuel did come. And Saul went out to meet him, that he might salute him. But when he got there, and Samuel said, What hast thou done? And Saul said, Because I saw that the people were scattered from me, and that Thou camest not within the days appointed, and the, and the Philistines had gathered themselves together in Michmash. Therefore said I, the Philistines will come down now upon me to Gilgal, and I have not made supplication unto the Lord. I forced myself therefore and offered a burnt offering. Now that, if you go back to the original language and you look at this, you say, something is wrong here. But, you should say, but you should say just by the content of the translation. And Samuel says to him, says to Saul, that has done foolishly. Why is, why is making a burnt offering foolish? Thou hast not kept the commandments of the Lord thy God. Why, why is, that not keeping, you can make a burnt offering anytime you want. It, it, it's your choice. Anybody can do that. So, did he force himself to make a burnt offering? Or did he force the people to make a burnt offering? And then he applied it. See, that's actually what is what we're seeing described here. He applied it. Now, everybody should know this who's listening to the Holy Spirit. Because from the beginning, it always had to be a free will offering. You couldn't have somebody commanding that you make a free will offering. It's not a free will offering anymore. It's not operating by charity or love. or It's not leaving the choice to the individual. It's turning the individual into a person, a thing. And see, because he coveted what the people could offer him and forced the offering. He was the king. He could do that. But he shouldn't do that. For now, would Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever? But he's not going to do that now. Because he forced an offering. He taxed the people. He compelled them to make an offering. He forced them to make an offering for myself. I forced an offering for myself so that I could 
apply it for a worthy cause. And of course, that was a sacrifice of fools. The people gave it because they weren't totally against it, but then they were coerced. There was just a little bit of coercion there. He wasn't knocking down their doors. At least there's no evidence of that from any of the texts or the accounts. But it altered. It was in violation of Deuteronomy 17. It was altering the way in which the kingdom of God was to operate. And there's going to be consequences if you alter the formula. And they did. And there there would be consequences. So anyway, but that word there, that foolish, is the origin of the word kako, which is the origin of this other word, silkuth, which ends in tov, which is not in the original, actually vav tov. It's actually lamad vav tov. starts out with the kuf lamad. But then there's a vav and a tov. Well, the vav is not and. The vav is division, dividing. It's operating as a divisionary letter to the letter tov, which is the letter of faith. So this offering, this foolish offering, cuts you off from faith. You're not operating by love anymore. It is dividing you from God. So anyway, what I had noted in there, and I was talking about it, and I just didn't have it in my notes, but now I have put it in my notes, that uh, in Ecclesiastes 7.25, one of the few places where we see this word folly show up, we see the word folly in that verse, but it's not the word 5531 that we, we've been looking at. But that word that is numbered 5531, Silkuth, is in that verse. But it's translated, the only place it's, well, not the only place, but one of the main places it's translated foolishness instead of folly. It's foolishness and madness in Ecclesiastes 7.35. But the word that is normally translated uh, uh don't I have that open? Don't tell me I don't have that open. I just had it open. <laughs> I'm fumbling around here. I'll take a look at that and see if anybody's raised their hand here in a minute. Oh, I don't have it. Let's see. I've done. See, that's the thing is I'm constantly adding to these different... Uh, oh. Okay, here we go. Three. Oops. Oh, it's not there. I can look it up uh, in another place. But uh, I know. Oh, I I do have it. Okay, it's here. It's on this page. I'll have to put it in a couple more pages so that you can find it easily. But it, it's Kessel. It's, but it's the Kuf Shemak Lamed that I was talking about. And in this particular verse, it's translated folly. So why is it translated folly? Oh, here, I do have access. Do I have access? Ah, but I will in a moment. 
I will create a link because I know that this will go to it. So I'm just making it easier for other people. The the word there that we see, because uh, I, I know I've already entered it somewhere. I'm pretty sure I've already entered it, but uh, okay. So I'm on the page creating it so that we can find it. Everybody can find it after this. There we go. I'm making your journey. Oh, I have not created the word, but I'll open it up and I will create the word and put it in. But Kessel, I I actually, I had it open this morning and I was talking to, that's where I saw it. It was Brother Paul. We were going over it. Kessel, with the Strong's number 3689, which is Somak, no, Kuf Somak, Lamad is appears one time in the Bible, and it appears that one time in Ecclesiastes seven twenty five. Although there are other words spelled exactly the same that have different numbers. Um, well, the three six eight eight is spelled that way, and that appears once. They say it's a verb. And it means foolish. But, in this case, they give it the number 3689, and they say that it means folly. And it's translated folly. Except when you go to the word to find out every place that that word is used in the biblical text, we find that it shows up 13 times in the biblical text. And six of those times is translated flank. In the sense of your loins, that that it's it's your uh, appendage for reproduction, and uh, it's translated flank six times, hope three times, it's and folly twice, but it's also translated loins once. And it's translated confidence once. So how is a word that means flank also means hope, also means folly, also means loins, also means confidence? Well, like I said, there's all kinds of words in the Hebrew language. And and it's not the only spelling. There are other Strong's numbers. That's just when they give it the Strong's number 3689. But uh, if you give it 3688, it means foolish. So, does it show up other places? Well, yeah. Uh, 036, uh, of course, 89. And uh, we find it where they add a hey on the end. And it becomes confidence, folly, or stupid. So, it's translated once as confidence, once as folly. And then... The same word, they just add a, a, a vav on the end, and it becomes a name. And they add, uh, I was looking here, what are they adding here? Uh, it looks like a an, an double vav, but uh, it can't be a double vav. 
Oh, it's maybe a nun. That's supposed to be a nun. I can't see a small print. I'm looking at a small print. But anyway, uh, it becomes a name that supposedly means confidence. There's, yeah, a number of these. It also is a name that supposedly means hope with the same exact spelling. It's also uh, a name that supposedly means flanks, which has a very similar spelling, but ends with vav. Tav again, which is what we were looking at uh, in the text where it supposedly says Sikuth, but it's actually a town in Ishkar uh, area of Israel. So that spelling keeps showing up and you can, uh, if you go back to... Um, Three six eight seven. Let's see you now. Why is that different? Oh, because they add a yod in there, and that's foolish or stupidity. But it only appears once. So they they're doing this. They're shifting these words around because they add a letter, and that's perfectly reasonable. But that why did they give it a separate Strong's number if they're not going to do it consistently? Because they'll translate the same word one time flank, one time it will translate it. As hope or confidence uh, or loin. Well, again, what I was going to say is like you know, we had this conversation this morning with, but uh, not on the air, off the air, and uh, you can have a word like kidney, which can also mean reins of control and actually stand for the idea of having the control of something. But it can also be defined as kidneys. And so that's common in the Hebrew language where a abstract idea is represented by a word that also has a very objective definition. And this is one of those words. So that you, but what connection does your loins have with the word hope? Well, of course, your loins, your children come from your loins, and your children are your hope. And so, yeah, and and confidence. But then, why does it also translate into foolishness? Because you can raise foolish children, and and because what could be your hope could also become foolishness if you don't do it right. And so. Yeah, these ideas, so I'm just giving you a little glimpse into the bizarre uh, language land of Hebrew, which should be of some concern, because you can be, they can use that against you to, you know, put the word foolish here, or put the word hope there. That's, That's seriously changing the meaning of the word. Who's making those decisions? Is it men led by the Holy Spirit? Do we need to retranslate the Bible to get a more perfect translation? Well, somebody can try that. I'm not interested in doing that. Because I know that if we have that perfect translation, if such a thing could even exist, because it, we're, we're translating a finite language into another finite language, and it, I don't know how you can get a perfect translation out of that. You could maybe get a better one in some cases. 
But you can't get a perfect one. But you don't need a perfect one if you're not taking knowledge and putting it in boxes. Strings of information and putting it in boxes or putting it up on pedestals where you worship it. If you're moving from the leading of the Holy Spirit, you don't need to walk around with these boxes strapped to your chest. Well, I have this information. I have this information. I have this degree. I have that degree. You don't need those things because you're operating according to the wisdom of God. Which is coming to you moment by moment through the power of the Holy Spirit. Oh, I see see more numbers showing up. I recognize that one number. I'm not sure who that is though. I recognize the number pattern. (laughs) But no hands showing yet. Nothing in the chat room. So... Anyway, but if you go back to Jeremiah, and they're, they're talking about, but they are altogether brutish and foolish. That's using the 3688 word. Um, what is he talking about? Uh, there's a s- silver spread into plates. Is brought from Turkish. That was interesting. Gold from Upaz. Okay, so what is he talking about in Jeremiah where he comes up with that? We'll go back to Jeremiah 1 and take a look. Hear ye words of the Lord speaketh unto you, O house of Israel. Thus saith the Lord, Learn not the way of the heathen, and be not dismayed at the signs of heaven, for the heavens are dismayed at them. For the custom, customs of the people are vain. Again, empty. The customs of the people are vain. For one cutteth a tree out of the forest, the work of his hands, of the workmen, with the axe. They deck it with silver and gold, and they fasten it with nails and with hammers, that it move not, and they are upright as palms, trees, but speak not, they must needs be born because they cannot go. Be not afraid of them, for they cannot do evil, neither also is it in them to do good. Now, a lot of people will equate that particular verse, and they'll come up with the idea, this is one of those boxes of knowledge. You're not to have Christmas trees. Because that's what you do. You go out in the woods, you cut down a tree, you bring it in, you fasten it, and you set it upright, and you decorate it with, you know, silver and gold. You know, your little uh, Christmas tree ornaments. But that's really a shallow uh, information in a box definition. I mean, certainly you can make that, you know, connection if you want. But I think you, if you make that connection and you put it in a box and you say, yeah, we shouldn't celebrate Christmas and we shouldn't have a Christmas tree and we shouldn't put it up and everything, because of that statement, you're probably missing it. You're probably confused. Now, 
I'm somebody who stopped celebrating Christmas when I was nine years old. And I did it, like I've said before, because I saw a group of people around a discount table. And to me, I saw vultures picking at a carcass. That it was feeding the spirit of greed and an appetite to get, you know, grab it before your neighbor could grab it. That's the antithesis of the kingdom of God. And I saw that Christmas often promoted that spirit. Not always, but often. Like a virus. It's around, but you don't have to get it. <laughs> Christmas is contagious. Uh, but uh, the reality is is that that's not really what they're talking about. Let's read on a little bit farther and see if we... Because uh, it says don't worry about it because they can't do evil neither can they do good. They're, they're just doing their thing. And so I've, I've, I let other people celebrate Christmas. That's fine. You know, I, I, jokingly I was the Bahambug kid for years and years. I went to the seminary not celebrating Christmas. Not buying gifts for people. I I gave gifts to people, but I gave them in the when God put it on my heart to do it, not as a seasonal event that comes out of this box called Christmas. But in verse six is for as much as there is none like unto thee, O Lord, thou art great, and thy name is great in might. Who would not fear thee, O king of nations? For to thee doth it appertain, for as much as among all the wise men of the nation, and in all their kingdoms there is none like unto thee. But they are altogether brutish and foolish. The stock is a doctrine of vanities. So what do they mean? It's, their stock is a doctrine of vanities. Their stock. The word there that we see for stock is uh, is basically the word for tree. But trees are a source. Remember that? 162 times it's translated tree, but 107 times it's translated wood because you get wood from a tree. Or timbers from a tree, or stick from a tree, firewood from a tree, a staff from a tree. And so four times it's translated stock, and in this one place it's translated stock. But it says, silver spread into plates, and is brought from Tarsus, and the gold from Upaz. And you have to look at those words to find out what they mean. The work of the workmen, of the hands, of the founder, blue and purple, is their clothing. They are all the work of cunning men. The Lord is the true God. He is the living God and an everlasting king. So if he's the king, how do you receive the commands? Revelation. At his wrath, the consequences of going against him, which is what wrath is, it's, it's the price you pay, the consequences you pay. The earth shall tremble, and the nation shall not be able to abide his indignation. Thus shall ye say unto them, 
the gods that have not made the heavens and the earth, and even they shall perish from the earth and from under these heavens. He hath made the earth by his power. He hath established the world. And you can look at that word world there, because I mean, what world is that? It's, it appears about 36 times. It's almost always translated world. It's basically inhabited places. But uh, it's it's from a word that means to bring or lead or carry, a conduct, a bear along, to bear along, to carry away. That's what it's from. It, it the word world is tevel, but it's from a word yebo. So they put a tov on the front of Yabal and you get world. It's it's like Wayne's world. It's the world you put faith in. It, when you put faith in that world, that becomes your world. So that's what he's talking about. When he's, he's talking about uh, this idea of you know, uh, let's see, where is that? Uh, he hath made the earth by his power. He hath established the world by his wisdom and hath stretched out the heavens by his discretion. So the inhabited place is, is the result of the faith of God. But you can create another world using the same word because he's also talking about gods who have a world. Not the God, but other gods. And they have their own world that is created by the faith of the people in them. That our social welfare will come from them. They will take care of us. Saul will protect us. FDR will provide us with welfare. Uh, LBJ will provide us with a great society. So that becomes another world. And in the Greek, you would use the word cosmos, which would mean constitutional order or system of government. That becomes a world unto itself. So there's God's world, and then there is the world that men make for themselves, which they use civil law in order to do that. But he goes on in verse 14, Every man is brutish in his knowledge. Every founder is confounded by the graven images, for his molten image is falsehood. And there is no breath in them. No breath, no life in them. So this is, but he, again he uses this word brutish. And you've often heard me talk about brutish, brutish pastors. Uh, so the man is brutish in his knowledge. He's got lots of information, but it's in his box. And, and the word that we're talking about there is bar, be it uh, an resh. And it's uh, translated literally burn uh, 41 times. Now here we're, we're seeing in this verse 14 where it's talking about brutish in his knowledge. 
So how is he, is he burning in his knowledge? Is he kindling in his knowledge? Because it's translated, uh, kindle 13 times, but brutish seven times. It's translated eaten twice, burned up twice. So it has to do with to burn or to consume something. So every man is consumed in his knowledge. Every founder is confounded by his graven images. And of course we've talked about graven images. It isn't necessarily a statue. It's, you know, everybody has a graven image of Christ. What they think, who they think Jesus is. But this word that they translate into graven image actually just means idol. It's, it's what you have when you are have an ideology about somebody. You, you have this block of knowledge about Jesus. You have this block of information about Jesus. You have this little block of information about Jesus. And you all put them together in your Jesus closet. And out walks your Jesus. Your invention of Jesus. But that's idolatry. You say, but it's Jesus. But it's idolatry because it's not really him. It's not really representing him. It's your opinion of him, not God's opinion of him. So, anyway, that's the word pestle. And then, of course, they are vanity. And the work of errors in the time of their visitation, they shall perish. Now, again, visitation. What do they mean, visitation? Because they're, uh, they talk about that in the New Testament. But, of course, they're using a different word for visit, visitation. But uh, the word that they're using there for visitation is translated perish. Let's see if I got the right word. Yeah. How about um, 96 times or 98 times. Destroy 62 times. Lose 10 times. Fail 2 times. Surely twice. Utterly twice. Broken. Destruction. Escape. Uh, spendeth. Take. Uh, void. So, uh, oh, actually, I'm looking at that's the word for uh, in their visitation they shall perish. That's why I was thinking that there was something confusing there. But the word for visitation is uh, pequida, which is uh, gimel, which is the law of cause and effect. Pi, uh, no kuf. Um, that should not be kuf there unless that's the end of the word. But that's what it looks like. Uh, yeah, I blew it up here. Huh. Interesting. Um, but delet hey. So anyway, I'll have to look into that. That's very interesting. It's from another word that I wonder if it even has that letter. See? Yeah, it does. Okay. Okay. Yeah, it's, it, I guess it, it, they can use that letter there. But it's a word that means to number. The, the root word means to number. But they, they also translate it to govern, or to punish, or to visit. So when they're talking about the day of visitation, they've added a few letters to it, but originally it's from an, 
and it's even translated number two, it's also, but visitation is also translated office, or oversight, or officer, or ordering, or an account. So in the day of your account, the day of your ordering, the day when you're numbered, they shall perish. Well, of course, you know, the mark of the beast is a number. They're giving you a number. They're numbering you. And, uh, that's your, that's your visitation. That, that, that's, that's your membership. If you're in Australia, you have a number. If you're in the United States, you have a number. And you're numbered because you went to them to get the silver and gold that they were putting on that tree that they brought into the house and fastened to stand upright. You know, it, it, you could say it represents a Christmas tree, but you could also say it represents the accounts of the Federal Reserve and the national debt. And it's got all these bubbles, you know, hanging out, gold and silver bubbles. You know, I heard a comedian say there's three things that don't hang themselves. One is Christmas tree ornaments. The other one is sheetrock. And the last one is Epstein. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I lost humor there. But, uh, hanging humor. So anyway, we've gone down that distraction uh, a little bit, but I do want to go back to Ecclesiastes 10 because I didn't go through all the, the side notes. We mentioned a number of them, the little folly is, is costly for wisdom. That if you bring in a little folly, a little covetous practices, a little desire for benefits at the expense of your neighbor. Just a little bit. Like public education. At, you know, like I said, in 1910 when they built the school down here, it was very little tax money involved. The land, I think, might have been set aside by taking some of the land set aside for schools and uh, selling it and then deeding a portion of that land to a school district and, the, and it went into that school district. They do that all the time when they consolidate schools. But it was just a one-room schoolhouse and they built it. It was mostly volunteer labor. I know that the teachers stayed in local ranchers' homes. They, people who had an extra room put them up and gave them a place to stay and fed them for breakfast and, and uh, they took care of the school. It was a lot of community involvement in the one-room schoolhouse. But there was a little folly there. But that was 1910. So, as, you know, they had a well drilled. I don't know who paid for that well. Uh, I think that was drilled a little bit later. But they only used it as a school for like 10, 15 years. And then they built another school because they got more money. That was mostly built with tax money. Now, since then, they've built another school up in North Lake County uh, in in the Christmas Valley area. And while it costs the taxpayers millions of dollars to build that building and to fund that school, the land they built it on was donated, donated by individuals to build it on. So that spirit of donation is still there, but there's a little folly coming in. And now that little folly has become a lot of folly. And because of that, your eyes will be darkened. 
that when we stepped over that line to go a little bit in the wrong way, our eyes were darkened. Now, if you want your eyes to get sight back, you want that revelation, you want the light of revelation, you have to start going back the other way. You have to start sacrificing daily in the temple of God. But the temple of God is not a stone building. And the altars are not stone altars. They're living altars. Lively stones. And so you have to create that network. And you say, where's a congregation near me? Start one. Find somebody else. We put out all kinds of material. Find some local email group and start putting this stuff out. And you'll maybe put it out to 100 people. Maybe you'll put it out to 200 people. And then you'll find somebody that says, oh, that's kind of interesting. See, everybody's not going to be on our network, but everybody on our network should be creating a network of their own to try to find the other lost souls. There's a lot of lost sheep out there. I have looked for lost sheep. I have run my legs off trying to save lost sheep. (laughs) Because God told me to be a shepherd. Now, some of the most lost sheep don't have four legs. They got two. And they're still lost. I'm going to need some help finding them. You need to be looking for them. Anybody who's on the internet, listening to this on the internet, can find a locals group. I mean, it was a Dave Rubin has local groups. There's Getter. There's all these other groups. We have the, the articles. We have the, uh, Bible studies. And, and you'll find certain things that just keep cropping up. Like, uh, at Cora, they, they have it. It says, why is the Exodus never mentioned in Egyptian history? Well, you go on our study of Exodus, it was mentioned in Egyptian history in great detail by an Egyptian historian and priest of the time. Talks all about it. The problem is, is most people have it in the wrong time period. And this is an ancient manuscript. Where he's talking about all these plagues and these people and and their departure. Wanting to get rid of them. It, yeah, it's talked about. It's talked about in great detail. But you're looking in the wrong time period. Because time is important. So, uh, the folly is that we're the folly. It isn't the bad guys, because like I said, down towards the end it tells us not to curse the kings. Don't, somebody, somebody had just sent me an email, I wonder if I have that open still. No, I just closed it off, so I, I can't tell you, I can't quote it. Uh, but if we look in here at uh, verse 2, the wise man's heart is at his right hand, but the fool is at his left hand. And I show you the Hebrew letters there for the left hand, Lamad, Shin, uh, Hey, Elif. No, Chet, Elif. Yeah, I was wondering if that's making this. Hey, Chet, Elif, Lamad, Bob. Bob at the end. And uh, it's a big long letter for the right hand as well. Lamad, Yad, uh, Chet. Yad, uh, Nun, Vav. So, interesting how one is right hand, one is left hand. These are symbolics. The right and the left has meaning other than 
just simply on the right or the left. It's that dual meaning of words. And adding the extra letters will help us understand. The hand is what you do with. Are you doing it the right way or are you doing it the left way? And still come all the way down to the, this day and age. The right way is not through. See, the problem is our right is very far left because they all believe in social security and welfare through the state. They're creating the social safety net through taxation. They're not creating a social safety net through charity and love. So that's why you know the United States is not, that's one reason, it's not a biblical nation. You have a lot of people who profess the Bible, but they're not doing what the Bible said because they don't keep the commandments. In verse 3, a fool walketh in the way, his wisdom faileth. You know, and we see that now. We look out there. How's how's it working out for you borrowing this money? And now you're trillions and trillions of dollars in debt. And inflation is starting to get rolling here. The foolish way will fail. The unrighteous mammon will fail. Doesn't mean you shouldn't be friends with the unrighteous mammon. But you should be seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Before the... Hopefully, before the, fa- the, the the unrighteous mammon faileth. Because when he does as the fool does, his eyes are darkened. And he cannot see. And that's why, you know, you have to go out and look for somebody who's getting a glimpse of the truth. Even if you just send some of these audios. Now I'll clean up this audio. Take out all my fumbling so I sound smarter than I really am. Because I'm not really that smart. But the Holy Spirit is smart. And he says in verse 4, If the spirit of the ruler rise up against thee, leave not thy place for yielding. And, and that word for yielding is the word for healing. Pacifieth the same root word for leave. So this don't leave instead be a part of the healing is really what they're trying to get at. And the way to be a part of the healing is to repent and seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's a long ways away from where we're at now. So there's a lot of things that have to take place. And not just in us, but in other people. See, you have to care about other people being saved as much as you. You can't just come out of Egypt. Moses didn't do it that way. Obadiah Morris seems to want to do that. You just come out of Egypt. No. You you start seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And they will boot you out of Egypt. And you'll be ready for it. So the fact that the king is against this, that the world economic order is against this, none of that is what we should be afraid of. We should be afraid of the fact that we aren't seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So in verse 5 they talk about an evil which proceedeth from the ruler that is an error. What was the error of Saul? He forced a sacrifice. And we shouldn't be doing that. So folly is set in great dignity, elevated. Folly is, you know, look at our greatest nation we have. Look at how they brag about their social welfare systems in many other countries. Oh, they give maternity leave and they give, 
you know, maternity leaves of fathers and they, they give, you know, we take, uh, five weeks vacation every year, guaranteed pay and everything. They elevate it. They think it's great. They think these welfare systems are great, but we know they degenerate the people. They make the people weaker and weaker and weaker. And it also makes them blinder and blinder and blinder. And it ends up that your servants end up being on horses. They're like an army that, you know, this, this vast, uh, network of guys, swarms of officers to eat out your substance. And that's, that's where we're going with this. We need to repent of that. Verse 8. He that diggeth a pit shall fall in it. We're digging a pit of debt. We're eating of the tables that are a snare. We have been made merchandise. We're back in the bondage of Egypt. And people think they can change that just by thinking a thought. By imagining themselves to be free. No, you have to repent and seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Which means you have to be sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands with the intent of taking care of the needy of your society without biting one another. Which is what you've been doing. Which is why you've been devoured. So verse 9, our own actions put us in danger. We fail to see one truth and many others may fall on us. Many other lies we will become subject to. We must seek the righteousness like a sharp knife or work will get harder. One of the things you're going to see in Ezra where they talk about a knife. They supply these knives. What do they supply these knives for? They'll tell you to butcher sheep. No. No. That's not it. Now they may have brought sheep and then they butchered them and they sacrificed them. But if they did... They, that's how they fed one another when they came to this desolate place where there wasn't a Jerusalem. And they started rebuilding it. They have, still have to eat. It wasn't quite like Exodus, but they still had to eat. And it came, it clearly came in stages, but we won't look at that. People speak of their own mind and ambition, their heart instead of God's heart. This is usually because they cannot forgive someone. We cannot see the heart of God without forgiveness. We can't get close to the garden of paradise and the tree of life without forgiveness. Because forgiveness, unless you forgive, you will not be able to walk into the light of the cherub with a fiery sword. It will be too painful. But if you forgive, you can heal. And then you have to forgive and be charitable. Because that's how you heal. Just forgiving, you have to test that forgiveness. You have to test it. I don't have to test it. I just have to listen to the Holy Spirit. Unforgiveness is a poison of the serpent, for their heart is cold. And the serpents of the world, they aren't into forgiveness. And so, also it tells us in verse 12 and then on in the 15 that what comes out of your mouth will defile you. In other words, taking these oaths, saying, yeah, I'll be a member. Yeah, I'm, you, I will set up this net. And then you'll be trapped in the own net. And then he talks about the portion of this poor man 
who saved this city. So that's important. Woe when the king is spoiled child and the princes eat before they labor, destruction comes. Today, I mean, like, you know, at least Hunter Biden has been a spoiled child. Getting millions and millions of dollars because of his father's influence in government and he could... He could be the spokesman and do all kinds of things. I can hold up that check until you fire that guy. Billion dollars. Not going to get it unless you fire that guy. Just wielding the power. It says it right out loud on the camera. And nobody said quid pro quo. They're all worried about Trump doing something. It is so orchestrated. It's just shocking. But you can't do anything about it because you're not, you have not been seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness. You haven't been sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands caring about your neighbor's freedom as much as you care about your own. You need to do that in order to create the social bonds that Malone says we don't have anymore, which is why we're a sick society. You cannot, somebody was saying that they were going to fight you know, the Great Reset people, we will not give up. Millions of us who are going to fight. You're so disorganized, you're not going to be able to stop them. I know people that are over in Europe trying to make this fight. But unless you deal with the elephant in the room, which is how do you take care of the needy of your society? Do you do it through faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty? Or you do it through some other means? Or you just don't do it at all? If you don't do it at all, you don't have any oil. If you do it a little bit, you know, you a little charity here, a little charity there, but you still have the folly of unrighteousness as a part of your practice. Well, we can help you out a little bit, but you're going to have to collect your welfare check. We have to get entirely away from that because a little folly will make the oil stink. So that's our goal, is to get entirely away from that. But we don't get entirely away from that by going cold turkey. We get entirely away from that by starting to do what is right, by organizing ourselves. Now, we have the time now because we're not out in the desert. And the, and the entire economy has not collapsed. But it will. So you, don't, you have enough time, but you don't have any time to waste. So the, then I talk about verse 19, this kumu sumak pay, uh, translated money. Now you notice those, uh, letters. Kuf sumak. But not lamad. Kuf sumak pay. That's the word that they translate into money in the text. And, but it appears as, uh, Bob Hey, kuf, sumak, pay. It's a different r- r- word spelled with the same kuf, sumak, pay, but translated desire. So it's not really the money as much as it is the desire. I see I got a typo in here. I'll have to fix that. Note to self. Uh, too many words. Uh, Meaning to long for. So what do you long for? You want freedom, but do you want freedom for your neighbor as much as you want it for yourself? Because if you only want freedom, that is selfish. That is the rich man who has a lot of freedom, 
not willing to help share what freedom he has with other people. This is why they could close down this business and people would be outraged on Facebook but wouldn't do a darn thing. I know how down in Humboldt County that, that they got so powerful the building inspector there walking around with guns shutting people down and, and people just got so upset. They had a meeting at the courthouse and they were not well organized but there was enough so they had a turnout. So they filled the entire room at the courthouse for the meeting. They filled the entire hallway, standing room only. You could hardly get through the hallway. All the way out to the front door and there were still people outside on the steps. Suddenly the building inspector changed their whole tactics. They were so intimidated just by these people showing up. I've seen that. That Humboldt County is a corrupt, 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 I'll say it one more time, corrupt county. But they were intimidated when the ants showed up, you know, like Bugs Life. You know, there's there's a lot of them. <laughs> but you have to, the enemy that you are going to be facing, you need to be way more organized than those people were. But at least they showed up. But it was only because there was so many outrages. Millions, people lost millions and millions of dollars because these guys were just sticking it to people they didn't like. And they couldn't do anything about it. And finally they just stuck it to too many people. And they got organized enough to show up at the meeting. But I tell you that if you seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness and not just to be free, You you can bring in the Holy Spirit in the equation. I went into the offices in Humboldt County. I dealt with the guys who, when he come to the door to answer the door, we could see him on the other side because it was the glass in the door. He pulls out his gun. He checks to see if it's loaded in front of the door. <laughs> and he puts the holster back, it back in the holster. And he's just trying to intimidate us. But before that meeting was over, we went to lunch together. And he was apologetic. And I, I brought it up. I said, so what was the deal with bringing your gun out and checking to see if it's loaded? <laughs> he said, well, I was afraid of you guys. And I said, yeah, well, you know, that's that's terrible. I, I was embarrassed for you. <laughs> but he also, we ended up having a meeting with the actual lawyer for the county. And the lawyer for the county says, no. What they did was perfectly legal. You didn't have any right to complain. And he says, well, no, no, we always do it this way. He says, yeah, but that's not the law. So they wouldn't listen to us, but we brought the county attorney in. And he thought, well, bringing the county attorney in, the county attorney will be on his side and show us. But it's very important that it did not become a them and us conversation. Otherwise, the Holy Spirit is gone out there. And this is back to these blocks of information that people get. You know, these little sound bites. You know, whether it's exosomes or, you know, cell theory or immune theories or what have you. These, you're taking these things out of context. You're making pro and con arguments for blocks of information that are incomplete on both sides. You know, it's like, you you don't know that Jesus was a capitalist? 
It was a confirmed capitalism because without capitalism there can't be any charity. You need absolute capitalism, individual capitalism, in order to have charity. And now you can't have strange gods because then they will start to incorporate corporations and the corporations will become golems and they will have the power that a man has, but not the consequences. Now if you if you're not if you didn't understand what I said, there's there's a lot you don't have those blocks of knowledge. But even if you had those blocks of knowledge, you don't know how to sift them. Unless you have the Holy Spirit. How do you get the Holy Spirit? You you sit down and start caring about others as much as you care about yourself. And I know you know people who don't who said they cared about you but they just wanted to take advantage of you. But don't let that make you bitter. You have to start caring about other people in real ways. Patiently caring about others. And I actually put a quote in here in Ecclesiastes 11, which is the next part of this. Cast thy bread upon the waters, for thou shalt find it after many days. And then we'll go into more. But we'll do that in in 11 next week. And hopefully I'll get more put together on Ezra before then. But I'm putting up hay. (laughs) Last year I only put up about 425 bales. I already got 475 in the stack. I think they're pretty much in the stack. And uh, it looks like we're going to get three times that much. Maybe four times that much before we're done. It's a lot of hay for an old man to pick up. Fortunately, I have a little bit of help, but the help I got is an old man. <laughs> so, occasionally, we get some of the young bucks out there, but uh, you still got to mow it, wreck it, bale it, and it's a lot. And yesterday, I built the bridge so that we can get into the lower half of the field because there, we can we can eventually make the bridge over by the fence wide enough to get the equipment across, but you need a lot of room, six, more than 16 feet to get the equipment across. So it wasn't quite wide enough. We can extend it, but I thought it would be easier just to make another bridge because it comes out on higher ground. So that's what I did yesterday. And uh, along with a lot of bailing and fixing the baler and uh, getting the farmhand down to the field because I had to go through that. I'm still waiting for another part on the farmhand. Uh and so all that takes time. But you have to remember, I, I don't collect Social Security. I, I, it's important. I'm not telling everybody not, not to take Social Security, but y- your Levite ministers can't be taking that Social Security. They can't be drinking of the cup of devils and the cup of righteousness. They can't be doing both. And I I had a unique life that put me somewhat separate. I'd never been to public school, don't take government benefits, all this kind of stuff. Uh, my father was a lawyer, my grandfather was a doctor. Both lawyers and doctors had an exemption at the beginning of all of this. It wasn't until 1960s that doctors lost their exemption. And they did it with more benefits offered to doctors. But... Uh, my my grandfather was already retired by then. So there's a lot of things that went on in my life that just didn't go on in other people's lives. 
So God has prepared me for this position. And I, I'm sure there's a lot more people out there that will become the Levites or the modern day. But then again, like I said, when we get into Ezra, we'll talk about the Nephim, uh, Nephidim, uh, not the Nephilim, but the Nephidim, who are basically our, uh, commissioned ministers and, uh, licensed ministers. And you say, licensed ministers? Oh, that's terrible. But that, that block of knowledge getting in the way again. I mean, we, we have marriage license. You know how our marriage license works? They're not issued by the state. But they're not issued by the church either. The license is issued by the parents or some guardian or some elderly person that you respect and that, and know you. And they sign it. And the community signs it. But you need a real community that has a real communion. And that means you need to have the tens, hundreds, and thousands of a welfare system based on faith, hope, and charity. If you don't have that, if you don't have that charity in every aspect of your life and the life of those people you want to also be free, you have nothing. And so you need to get into... Seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So, we've almost gone two hours. Uh, I'm looking at my countdown clock. we got one hour and 14 minutes left. Uh, we got all the way through the notes on Ecclesiastes. So, this will be with the Ecclesiastes recording. But I, you can see I'm putting a lot of other things. I'm bringing in Jeremiah. I'm bringing in uh, Ezra. The book of Ezra, which originally Ezra and Nehemiah, they were the same book. But Ezra also wrote Chronicles uh, 1 and 2. And so you have 1 and 2 and Ezra. And by the time you get into Nehemiah, you're going to be bringing in information from uh, Jeremiah. We just saw that age-old quote that people who don't celebrate Christmas because it's a pagan holiday. It is a pagan holiday. And But, you know, uh, I let people celebrate the pagan holiday. I'll explain to them what it was. And I have used that quote before about bringing the, cutting the tree down and bringing it and making it stand upright and decorating it with silver and gold and you're not to do that, but you're also not to fear that. But that really isn't about Christmas. There's always these levels of understanding. You know, like I said this morning, this, this book of Ezra, to go through that, that is a big onion, lots of layers there. But it's not going to do you any good if you don't sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Now, there's a congregation somewhere near you. They may have 10 people in it. They may have 20. You have to become a part of that, and you have to participate. You have to donate. We don't have anybody living off of those donations. Uh, I'm helped out to some degree here, but I am... I'm... Doing what? If I was just to take care of myself, I could do that by doing things a lot different. My kids would probably. I don't eat much. I mean, I maybe have a meal a day. (laughs) I don't need much uh, for habitations. I got several habitations, little trailers that I could move into, very well insulated. Got a little wood stove in them. You know, my office. I can live in my office. 
if I want to take my wife, I might want to live in the, the trailer out there that we put little additions on. And uh, I would be fine. I could get by on just almost nothing. Almost nothing. Uh, but if I'm taking care of the church property and trying to do all these other things, yeah, I get a little bit of support from, mostly from the order. Uh, not from the contributions of the people. Although, occasionally, people contribute locally. Just because I do so many favors for people, they've, some of them actually feel guilty and contribute. But when I want you to contribute in the network, it isn't for me. If I was doing that, I would tell you to send the check to me and I will redistribute it to the minister. No, I want you to join the congregation and give them those funds and start taking the responsibility back for being the kingdom of God and pursuing the righteousness of God is a job. It is then you become a part of that government. I see there is somebody else in the chat room, but he hasn't said anything. I don't know if I, if I, uh, Ila Dubi is in the chat room. Uh, if I were to click on his mic, would he have a voice? I don't see a hand raised, so I don't know. Is there some way he could say that he wants to have his mic turned on? It says there's two speakers. So I don't know who that Iladube is. But anyway, if there's a way he can communicate by typing in, if he wants to, me to turn on his speaker, I could do that. But maybe he's just listening. Maybe that's a way of listening. I don't know how all this works. You guys can help me by exploring this and figuring it out. And then maybe we'll end up having other guests on. Or I may just do the guests on Skype calls because then we can do video. We've done some of that. Lots of lots of things we can do. Uh, but I don't see any questions in the chat room or and nobody raising their hand. So I may bring the show to an end. Uh, we're going to have the Burning Bush Festival the first couple of days in September. Uh, Paul should be here by then. He'll be in Wisconsin in two weeks. So anybody in Wisconsin, and then of course you'll have to eventually leave going across from Wisconsin headed to Oregon. So if you're somewhere in those areas, you want to get on the network, if you want to visit with Paul, and... Uh, uh, so, but anyway, that's up to you. But he'll be going to Wisconsin and seeing some people there in two weeks. And then sometime after that, he'll head out here. Uh, so anyway, uh, then next year in the springtime, we'll have, which is, it's not run by me, but it will be on the church property. And it is called the uh, White Rock Gathering. You can go to whiterockgathering.com and find out more about that. And you can find out more about the burning bush by going to Preparing You and looking up the word burning bush. And uh, 
you, so you can come here. Eventually, we hope to have big events. And we've accumulated, fortunately not me, the church, but I have somebody who's putting on the White Rock gathering. They've been accumulating the equipment they need and the mobile kitchens they need to put this on. It's a camping gathering. And uh, and hopefully it will grow from there. They were very successful. They didn't make any money. They lost money uh, this last year, but they didn't over-advertise because they didn't know how well things would go. But uh, the way the Feast of Tabernacles work, I know a lot of people who put on the Feast of Tabernacles, they're not doing what the Feast of Tabernacles was all about. This was a government of the people for the people and by the people. And the Levites were the ministers of that government that could only be supported by free will offerings. And you were told not to forget the Levite when you left. And... We have lost money on every single festival we've ever had here. We've spent more money and time and energy in producing it than we received back. But we will continue to do it that way until the people finally figure out what the kingdom of God and his righteousness looks like. Now, it's gotten better and better from the early days. But we're learning. Some people are learning. A lot of people need to learn. But you don't learn by putting soundbite information in a box and then holding that up as if that contains the truth. God is truth. That is the only truth. And unless you're communicating directly with God through divine inspiration, you don't have the truth. And if you are, you only have the truth for the moment He is communicating with you. And... Because the kingdom of God is only in the moment. So there's no way that you suddenly obtain it and you're, you're, you're on the free base. That's, that's, it's not that finite a kingdom. That uh, are many saved or a few? Jesus wouldn't even answer the question. He said strive. Persevere. God will decide that on an individual basis. If you're going around telling everybody you're saved... You're making it up. Because you don't know. You imagine that you are. God certainly may care about you. and But you're listening to the preachers who say you can't lose your salvation. Think again. You can. But uh, God can forgive you. And you can come back. But there is no substitute for the truth. And your ideologies and theologies are not going to cut it with God. He already has an opinion and that's already true. So with that, uh, I will say, I don't see any hands raised, so I'm going to end the program here. So until then, peace on your house and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church 
at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.